So um, hello, everyone. Um, back to the uh, Quant Financial Engineering um, podcast. And I have uh, quite a treat today because I have an interesting guest. Um, we used to be colleagues at the point in the past. Uh, Frank uh, Van Gansbecki. Um, I will let him introduce himself or how he wants to present himself. Uh, but uh, we're here to talk about a letter that um, he sent out um, not too long ago to Mark Carney. And he basically states that, uh, you know, in, in your open letter to the Financial Times, time you declare that the world of finance will be judged on a 100 trillion climate challenge. Just to give you a feel for what this discussion is going to be about, right? So, Frank, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so the so the, the audience can place you, and then tell us about this letter and why why the letter and what are some of the efforts that you have underway right now? Okay, so first of all, uh, thank you, Patrick, and welcome everybody uh, on this podcast. It's a true pleasure to uh, to join in. Uh, as a short and brief introduction, so I'm professor of the practice at Middlebury uh, uh, College, and there I teach uh, mostly finance-related courses, uh, such as interest with finance, investment management, carbonomics and renewable energy, capital markets. And um, next to that, I'm occasionally writing uh, articles or contributing to uh, Forbes Online. Uh, of which you know uh, Patrick just mentioned and referenced the article. And I do also board advise NGOs and fintech companies who act and um, work on the nexus between sustainable development and um, the uh, fintech space. So that's as a introduction to, um, uh, to my qualifications. Um, and maybe as also as a follow up on, on, on your elements uh, or your introduction where you were referencing the article. In terms of magnitude, so 130 trillion is a large amount. So just you know, to um, share with your, um, um, your audience, the magnitude. So currently the global GDP, give or take uh, the impact of COVID is around 100 trillion a year. So the combined uh, goods and services that are being introduced on a global scale are in the range of 100 trillion. So we're talking about 30% more. And um, that's, an, you know, the ambition that Mark Carney actually uh, set aside, you know, that is needed in order to address the climate change challenge. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That is indeed a lot of money. Um, so this is also why I actually um, um, wrote the article and uh, the actually the inclination came uh, in the first instance, I wanted to also express, you know, some recognition for the leadership and the vulnerability he showed here in the sense that he came forward. I mean, he is putting himself and his, person and, and his uh, personal credibility at risk by advancing that number. And in the initial article in the FD, he actually stated that his ambition was about 100, 100 trillion. So with the developments of the COP26, which uh, COP26 uh, is the conference of parties and that's the number 26 one. So this is a UN in, within the UN uh, framework where people are discussing 
mostly uh, the uh, in, in, at, at this occasion in the conference in Glasgow about the formal execution of the treaty, the Paris 2015 treaty. So whereby all uh, signatories to the uh, treaty, so it's about 151 countries actually articulated their magnitude of intent to reduce uh, the global gas emissions, um, um, you know, for each country. So you made a couple of points here. You bring up um, you bring up the $130 trillion climate challenge, and you also bring up uh, price differentiation for carbon intensity. Yes. Yeah. So what I've tried to do uh, with my letter, and again, is there is this overarching um, what, what we call so the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. So this is this overarching, this is investment managers, financial institutions, insurance companies, and banks alike. What I've been trying to do is focus in on the Net Zero Banking Alliance. So this is a sub-segment, but it's not quantified or you know, the ambition is not uh, detailed uh, by, uh, by Mark Carney at, at the stage of uh, the writing of his letter because he actually uh, wrote the initial letter in the Financial Times. And um, so the, the, my, my whole rationale was actually to uh, invite him to articulate what will, be, what will be the magnitude of the individual banks or the global banks for that matter. So there's about 44 global banks that signed this, this alliance and they actually wanted to, to go forward. And one of my elements of reservation I had, so is how can he actually be announcing this magnitude in the absence of what I would call a pricing differentiation of carbon intensity? What do I mean by that? So first of all, I think we are in 2021 right now, and we are um, allocating risk capital, so equity capital, as well as credit in the form of bank loans in a totally agnostic fashion about the carbon intensity of our carbon, so of our counterparties or of the, the bank's counter, counterparties. And all this is actually framed or actually is generated as a result of a paper that got the Nobel Prize in 1992. So this is by paper by Markowitz and, and uh, Sharp about, uh, and your audience might be familiar uh, with that, with the capital asset pricing model. So the CAPM model, and so this, again, this is mostly used by um, investment banks, private equity firms, you know, to actually assign the cost of capital. So the, the cost of capital for uh, allocating risk uh, capital uh, into investments, right? So, and we have this kind of neat calibration of uh, the cost of capital, but again, we are doing it in 1992 in a totally, as I said, agnostic manner of the carbon consumption. So where I'm, one of my elements in here in this letter is actually inviting, you know, Mark Carney and the 44 global banks to actually start considering, you know, how we can actually amend this capital asset pricing model. How can we actually fine tune that capital asset pricing model to start including the carbon intensity of your counterparty? And by extension, you could also say the pollution intensity of your counterparty. And right? so right now, uh, if you extend a capital equity capital to Exxon, or you do it, for example, to a B certified kind of company that is listed on the stock exchange, there is no differentiation for the respective carbon footprint. And this is something that, you know, I'm inviting again, uh, Mark Carney to reconsider 
but it's also at the same time at your audience, I think, you know, this is Nobel Prize, this is the potential to have Nobel Prize uh, winning power. Uh, again, for any students who would like to work on the modification and the change of the capital asset pricing model to start including a factor for carbon intensity uh, when, we, when we price for the allocation of risk. Capital. That is most interesting because um, we have done some project on multi-factor French. Um, and um, yes, I mean, so that would uh, that would impact equity then because you would raise obviously the, the, the cost of capital go up. I mean, I, I'm seeing here to be fully aligned, the risk weight for the new oil and gas exploration should be calibrated to 1250%. Yes, well, we have to, I think let's go in different, different steps here. So, um, the way that there's about two ways to go about this. First of all, I think it can be done uh, through the, um, the pricing mechanism that banks or financial institutions deploy, and they could use an adapted or modified CAPM uh, for that matter. So um, it could be a multi-factor pharma French, uh, whatever. But I think you know now we have scope one, scope two, and scope three calculations of those carbon emissions. So the numbers are there. Right, so it's not something that we fail the data. I think we're just not, uh, we have not yet had the inclination or uh, the, um, uh, the conviction to start you know, uh, putting data into that uh, modified formula. So that would be a first, the kind of first kind of um, uh, step. Uh, and by extension, Patrick, it's also fair to say that you know, we have right now fairness opinions as we speak as of today, fairness opinions which state that what is the true value of an acquisition or you know, of a change of hands of a, uh, a legal entity is again taking place on the back of this uh, CAPM capital asset pricing model, again, totally uh, absent of any carbon intensity inclusion into the pricing uh, consideration. So that's the first thing. So the banks and the investment banks, whether they apply uh, you know, it, it in their IPO price, pricing models or in the fairness opinions for signing uh, M&A deals or for signing off M&A deals or private uh, transactions, they could start you know, reallocating uh, in a different manner or take into account that carbon intensity. What I then subsequently try to reference is the IEA. So this is the International Energy Agency, you know, has stated in its report, uh, in most recent report that there is no more need to actually um, explore new uh, oil and gas fields, right? So this is like, you know, the, uh, and so if you still would have financial institutions that still think otherwise and say, okay, let's go ahead and put some money into financing Mozambique and uh, start, you know, providing finance for their offshore oil and gas fields. Then I think, you know, the proposition should be from a prudential regulatory framework. So now I'm talking about central banks assigning capital to different, to, to, to different uh, types of activities. There, I should say it should be a 12, 50% kind of, or the equivalent of equity financing or the, you know, uh, a one-on-one -on -one equity uh, kind of capital charge for that type of activity. Okay, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big topic on its own. Uh, um, we, we really need to do, a, I think, another session on that. Uh, that is quite interesting. And then you mentioned... Can I just add what I yeah. would like to say is the reason why, we, why, why would that be the case, right? So why would you actually 
put such an impairment or so such an uh, you know impeding kind of capital charge on uh, this this type of activity. I think it's coming from, as I said before, we have the prudential regulatory framework. So it's central bank kind of uh, authority. It's under the central bank's authority. But the fact is right now we have this consideration that central banks should um, you know, deal with you know, the uh, control of inflation. And right now we have inflation to the tune of five to 6%. So I think it's, but the fact is you know, by extension, we have to ensure too uh, that there is market stability. And if we look at all these models that actually are being generated either by the IEA or by the IPCC, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we see all this major risk of, you know, the climate risk that is actually moving our way. And so it is also from a prudential kind of uh, prudential monetary framework from a central bank's perspective, it is uh, of utmost importance to make sure that those activities that actually could still uh, contribute to making things worse, that we contain it, that we um, uh, abate it, and even to the extent possible negate it. So again, uh, that's the reason why, you know, such a uh, heavy capital charge is being considered for new exploration of oil and gas fields. Okay. You, you also have a, a section on, uh, on solvency and stress testing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So banking, banking in its essence, is nothing else than uh, if you're a CEO or part of a C-suite of a bank, you actually are um, making sure that the triangle, so there's three elements that need to be optimized. So we have liquidity, solvency, and profitability, right? So, and um, in the solvency manner uh, right now, it is uh, fair to say that initial stress tests, which are being calibrated by the Fed of New York and by Nobel Prize winner Engel uh, from New York uh, University from Stern, actually indicate, and these are very, you know, you have to stress, these are uh, very prudential uh, numbers that, uh, and this is only taking into account transition risk, not even physical damage risk, but transition risk. So the result that banks have exposure as a, uh, as a result of changing business models, you know, people are moving away from an intensive kind of carbon uh, uh, industry, moving to more nimble carbon footprint industry. So you will have changes in price, you know, for amongst others, you know, your oil and gas assets. So, and just focusing on this transition risk, you know, they, their first estimates have actually uh, reflected a 20% uh, reduction in capital. So this is, you know, at current levels of capital means about um, a 70 billion uh, shortfall in capital. And that's, you know, just focusing on transition risk. Patrick, I don't, I can't hear you. Sorry, uh, you also, um, there's also executive compensation, liquidity, more Imperative and ethical code of conduct. Um, what I, you know, what I, I will do, um, I will definitely post the, the link to that page uh, in, in the podcast. Have you have you heard anything back yet? Is there any? Uh, well, I think so far, um, yes, I I have heard back. So does does people have taken a keen interest in? Um, uh, I have to say, not not so much from the banking industry itself, which is not uncommon, 
right? Because you are actually inviting the banking industry to um, actually take a control of, of certain um, challenges. But I think, you know, from uh, major uh, newspapers and um, also from some NGOs, people have contacted me uh, for further elaboration on my comments and my propositions. And so it's, it's foremost here. Uh, the concern is that, you know, the finance industry is in the middle. I think you, you um, whether you hate or you like, you know, the finance industry, it is part of our society and it's actually there to, as I mentioned before, allocate capital. And um, so now that we have this uh, emerging, well, it's not an emerging, I think it's already, it was already identified um, in, in 85, uh, by Carl Sagan in, in 1985 as a result of his um, hearing or his presentation in front of uh, uh, Congress that, you know, we had this major climate risk, but now we can see, I think it's becoming more tangible, more, um, it, it, it's also uh, more of concern by all parties involved. So it is also from there, uh, from, so from that perspective, important that the finance industry is you know, being called uh, is being uh, called upon to address this issue, and that you also have private citizens express their concern in the absence of any uh, tangible action. I mean, you're basically saying that we may be mispricing. There may be a huge mispricing going on in the market right now. That I am, I am. This is this is not an assumption. I I would like here. I you know I would even put my my personal credibility at stake. I think there is a major mispricing in the sense that, you know, we have we use all types of variables to include, you know, whether it's you know uh, labor developments, your salary developments, you know, price inflation, monetary aggregates, but we have not, or we have failed, or we have deliberately ignored. You know the scientific evidence, uh, scientific evidence relating to the carbon intensity in our atmosphere, you know, and for whatever reason it might be as a result of some very um, heavy or hefty lobby work. On the other hand, there might also be the fact that we ignored it or that we are not au fait with you know climate science. You know, I think it's you know uh, for most of the people that are working in the finance industry have a business background. Very few have a more scientific uh, background, so I think it's maybe there's also a reason to it. But as it, you know, for whatever reason, the outcome is you're right. There is a mispricing and a heavy mispricing that's taking place. Okay, now this is uh, so. This is most interesting. I mean, we will definitely have to follow up on this because I don't want to make it too long because we've got thirty minutes already. Um, but um, let me see what type of. Um, um, Let's spread the word and, and, and let's maybe uh, get a project out of this uh, discussion, definitely, because you're talking mispricing, you're talking about cost of capital. Uh, a lot of the projects that we undertake have to do with arbitrage, right? Uh, mispricing in the market, blockchain, yep. for example, uh, the DeFi space, you, which you're very familiar with as well. Mm -hmm. That's also not being priced um, uh, currently. Uh, for, for nope, fair. not at all. Not at all. That's also so, that's uh, and it's right there, but it's not very easily understood by everyone. Uh, and obviously, when when it starts to be realized, then the markets are going to move in ways that we did not uh, predict or we did not understand. So this is that. So, I mean, uh, Frank. I mean, any parting words for now? Um, well, 
I, I would say so on a on a different and another project. I think uh, I would like to share with your audience, and maybe we can do a bit more uh, digging yep. in uh, more Definitely. more deeper uh, in the future. Is also the project that we launched at COP twenty six in Glasgow. So this was at the climate conference, and it was called Beyond Bretton Woods. And with Beyond Bretton Woods, we are actually first of all uh, very laudatory about you know at the time they went in uh, post Second World War the calamities that were endured, that you had uh, a couple of financial institutions emerging, the World Bank and the IMF, and uh, of course, the recognition of the dollar as the anchor currency. Um, but now we see when we revisit, you know, the remits of the respective institutions, and we look at the multiple crises that we're facing, amongst others, the climate, the pandemic, uh, the racial injustice, uh, the uh, uh, mental health issues that we are faced with as a society and the financial market instability. The question is to what extent are these institutions that emanate from uh, the original Bretton Woods still fit for purpose, you know, to tackle those new challenges. And so this is a different project that we will uh, revisit. So we'll have two major conferences in 2020. Uh, so 2022, sorry, I should say. And um, we will also be looking at um, you know, uh, respective subjects that we will actually uh, undertake some research on. One might be an IMF climate co uh, coin, but I'll keep your audience uh, a bit at, uh, I'll tease your audience with this notion. And so we can cover uh, in, in more detail at uh, the next opportunity. Frank, thank you very much for your time. Patrick, it was a pleasure as always. As always. And, look, <laughs> and look forward to talking more. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you very much.